You're listening to Body IO FM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky, where cutting edge science meets the razor's edge of health and performance. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Body IO FM. This is your host, Kiefer, and co host, Dr. Rocky. Hey, Kiefer. And today, we're lucky enough to have in studio Brett Contreras. So you want to say hi, Brett? I, I'm curious. Am I the first person to be in studio? The first guest? Um, we do have somebody who helps us do research reviews every once in a while. So he was actually the first in studio guest. Uh, yeah, sorry. That's okay. You're the first known entity, like pseudo celebrity in studio guest. How's that? Is that better? Um, well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah, of course. I still get people that... Well, when did we do our last one? That was a yeah, that was a while ago. And I still get people who will email me and hey, I listened to your podcast on you know with Kiefer and it was great. And I'm like, man, people must go back. You must be pretty pop- popular, you know. Uh, you know, I I think it's because I I basically disappeared for like six or eight months and did nothing. So, so people had, had to, to like, go back and yeah, play. exactly. They had to go <laughs> dig up some old stuff to to look at. They needed their Kiefer fix. Yeah, and which I just will never comprehend. I should do that. I should disappear for eight months because <laughs> I have enough content for people to reread, and it would give me a nice. I could actually make a dent in my PhD. Yeah, there you go. How's that, how's that coming along? By the way, <laughs> just just incidentally. So, first of all, I'm committed to doing it because it's needed research. Um, I'll be looking at, well, first I, I've kind of, what's nice is I've been able to augment it. So with most programs, they probably don't let you do that, but I've, I've learned a ton through pilot stuff. I've, I've done EMG stuff on probably like 30 people now, but I've, we do extensive like case studies. I'll do, I'll have them hooked up for three hours and I'll do a ton of different stuff and you learn so much about the individual and that's what I like doing with my clients because I learn so much about my clients that way <clears throat> for example I'll have them do you know 50 exercises and that way I can see which are the best for each muscle group their quads some people it's a squat some people like a Bulgarian split squat or lunge some people a leg press hamstrings some people it's the back extension some people the like a rack pull some people a Nordic ham curl and then sometimes you'll find that a one exercise doesn't work well at all. For glutes, it's usually the hip thrust. And then, you know, but but it's also you can see what about squats. So I have one client, she can use a third of the weight on goblet squats and get higher glute activation than she does with barbell squats. And so why would I not give her a ton of, if glutes are her goal, why wouldn't I give her more goblet squats? You learn things like that. And... um some people have like a sweet spot with loading where going heavier doesn't get you higher muscle activation in the particular muscle. You so start like, to like shift to other muscles. Yeah. So okay. like for hip thrust, some people, it, they, they, as, it's like a linear increase as you keep going heavier and they peak mm-hmm. at maximum weight. Other people, they won't get any higher after 80% of one rep max. So why would you huh. go heavier than that? Because they can get more reps with the lighter weight. Right. There was one study looking at that from like a year and a half ago in the JSCR with bench press, and they found that I think it was 90%. It didn't go any heavier. So then why would you, 
you know, I mean, if you're hmm. not a power lifter, why would you, you know, and you're looking at muscle growth, then you would not want to exceed that loading for the, for you. It, it probably differs. And that's why I, I'm a case study guy. Cause if I train someone, you know, like Kiefer, you're going to be different than the, the averages that, you know, the research reports averages. And, um, it's so neat when you actually conduct research, it's nice because, um, you get to learn about the, that individual, but <clears throat> So I've done a ton of pilot work. I've done, you know, I've done all the research as far as reviewing past literature, but I have not actually started publishing my work and actually collected the data that I'm going to publish, which I'll start doing that soon. But my, my professor, love the guy, um, John Cronin, he's at AUT and I know he's just, he'll call me up asking for like, you know, progress and I'll try to like make it i'll be like well i did this this and this all i'll try to hide the fact that i haven't done anything and then <laughs> i'll go but did you see i got two new articles in the in the jscr this month because i'm good friends with brad schoenfeld and chris mm -hmm. beardsley and they're always you know i i help them with the studies but they do mm -hmm. the vast majority of it and right. then i just i help you know look over the methods beforehand or the the you know, re review it and add in my input, but they're doing the majority of the work, but I get my name so on get it. get a name credit. I, look, nice. I make AUT, the, the university, look good, so. Ah, <laughs> uh, so that they're, they're satisfied with that? Yeah, so John will be <laughs> mad at me, but he'll be like, okay, good work, good work, <laughs> keep it up. <laughs> so, Brett, I'm kind of interested in terms of all these little case studies that you have, as you optimize their their exercise pattern and loading, um, how often does it change over that time as you get them, let's say, better or uh, performing better? Or does it change? That's a great question. It do it doesn't. Like, do they get better at, one, you know, like if you train them for a year, do they then get better at, you know, one rep maxes to where it, from what I've seen, it doesn't change much. We We tend to have like an inherent loading protocol that's best for us. The exercises don't switch. However, you can improve relative muscle activation. Like you get a lot of, you hear a lot of people saying, just focus on moving the weight. Don't focus on internal, you know, cueing or internal attentional focus. Don't focus on the muscles, focus on moving the weight or on the external factors. Well, there's actually a million studies looking at, you know, attentional focus on performance. And that makes, that's intuitive, right? If, if, Kiefer, if you're going for a one rep max, I'm not going to go, okay, Kiefer, focus on your quadriceps contraction. You right. know, gonna, Make sure your glutes are tight right, and right. your foundation is, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say, you 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 know, you want to, come on, Kiefer, explode up or I'll, I'll know, if, I, if you're my lifting partner, I'll know what you tend, you know, like what motivates you most mm -hmm. or what you might need to focus on. For each person, it's different. I have a joke because I, I lift weights with Charles Staley and one time he... Fainted at the top of a squat because of internal. I mean, you see the the rat, the barbell go down into the racks. He fell down. Oh wow! So with him, I'd be like, "Come on, Charles, stay conscious." That's his <laughs> other people. It's like chest up or whatever. But, but anyway, I'm not. When I train people, and this is what I try to tell coaches, because this external attentional focus. You know, I don't know if you follow this, like the straight not coaches, that closely. right? Yeah. But it got real big and to the point where people were saying, don't ever focus on, you know, internal focus, but I'm not, 
you know, like if they're on the power, the, the, the platform, that's when you, the time for that is, but during training, you're, you're working on their form, you're working on their weaknesses. It's, you know, if their knees cave in, you, you're telling them knees out. If they're, if they round over, you're telling them chest up, things like that. You're, you know, otherwise it becomes nothing against CrossFit, but we've seen the highlight oh, videos right. gone bad when you do just right. focus on, and you could make one for power, for anything, bodybuilding, right. when the focus is only on performance, form goes to crap. And so anyway, so I, you got to, I go off on tangents. You got to circle me back no, in. That's all right. The original question was, do you know what changes over time? If you, if someone doesn't use their glutes well, or any muscle for that matter, like they, if they don't use their quads well or their glutes well or anything, you can get them to use more of that over time through cueing and through focus on internal muscle mm-hmm. contraction. So that does improve. And that's what the bodybuilders have been saying for, I mean, I remember when I was 16 years old reading bodybuilding mags and they'd say someone would write in to the, you know, the bodybuilder Q and A and say whatever bodybuilder was in that column I was reading and say, you know, I don't feel my pecs when I bench press. And they'd say, that's because you you aren't focusing on it. You got to it took me six months to learn how to use my pecs well in a bench press. And here's how I do it. And right. anyway. So back to, you know, uh, it really struck me with the, you're talking about the, all these uh, N equals one. It's a large pool of uh, basically pilots that you have and, uh, that you can see different activation patterns. It kind of sounds like in each individual, and those patterns may not change. Is that that correct? Right. Uh, like that, like if you go back, I mean, maybe if I the, the people I tend to look at have experience. So if uh, if I took a v- very you know like first time beginner and then looked at him a year later, then but, you, yeah maybe. But so far, what I've seen. I haven't done a ton of work on this. And I'm sure if you had a researcher just scrutinizing it, they would see changes, subtle changes. Mm-hmm. But for me, like, I tend to look at the big picture. Like, um, you'll hear people go like this hand placement or this foot position or this. And I always look at that and I'll say, okay, that's a an 8% difference. I, I don't care so much about 8%. I care about... Right. 50% and 30% differences, which you get with exercises, you'll see something that works this muscle 30% more than why wouldn't you, you better be have that person doing that exercise. Right. And it's not just about EMG. I've been criticized for promoting mm-hmm. EMG, but there's, there's reasons. Um, you know, if you look into the work of Brad Schoenfeld, and this is what I love about his work and my work go hand in hand because I'm looking more at the biomechanics. He's looking more at the physiology behind muscle hypertrophy. Mm-hmm. And he'll say that muscle hypertrophy has three primary mechanisms. Um, and the, mo- the most important is probably mechanical tension. The second is probably metabolic stress. And the third is probably muscle damage. The problem is we don't know what percentage comes from what. And, and, and it's very hard to figure it out because they're all redundant pathways. Like right. they all, all three of them signal satellite cell acti- you know, activation. And so how right. do you delineate which comes from which? And it might differ from one individual to the next. Right. Like adductor activity isn't that high in a squat, but my adductors grew when I started doing like squats and lunges. Well, they get damaged. They get sore. You get stretched. Right. So can 
you can have a situation where muscle activation is not so high, but you are getting muscle growth because of the muscle damage. Right. Um, same with like metabolic stress uh, with like blood flow restriction training. Mm-hmm. You, <clears throat> initially, the you know, like the first few reps, you won't see high muscle activation. But as you go to failure, the activation keeps going up and up to where the last couple reps. So I've been doing some of this stuff, looking mm-hmm. at this, and it's really cool because um, you can do like, you know, have a knee wraps around your upper arms mm-hmm. to include, you know, do yeah. blood flow restriction. And you're, you're using like a 30 rep max. And so you start out and the muscle activation is very low. But once you get to like 20, 25, 30, it keeps climbing muscle activation to where at the, the last rep, you're getting like double what you got the first rep, the double the activation. You rest 30 seconds to a minute, you repeat it, you do three sets like that, and you've got this crazy pump. The load wasn't high, the tension on the muscles wasn't high, but the metabolic stress was high, and so you can get muscle Hmm. growth that way. And there's like, because Kiefer, this is one area where I learned from research, because a lot of times you hear the coaches say, research is always five years behind the field, and... I would have never given blood for, I thought it was stupid. Yeah, I would have never given train, it a try. Yeah. <clears throat> but what's cool is you can get that occlusion effect through high rep training without having the wraps on. Like if it's a constant tension exercise, think about leg extensions. If mm-hmm. you ever do a, like two or three sets of 20 to 30 rep leg extensions, there is nothing more painful yeah. for the quads. I mean, it, you wanna, it's the worst. Horrible. You can get occlusion through the leg extension because the leg extension, there's constant tension. There's no chance for blood to escape. Right. I've been looking at band hip thrust. Kind of like temporary claudication. Exactly. Kind of, yeah. Like so, like band hip thrust mm-hmm. is a similar scenario where you get the glutes, they they the 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 blood doesn't escape. You get this crazy pump and burn, mm-hmm. and you look at muscle activation, it keeps rising. And what's cool is, I did a set with like 545 pounds with the hip thrust, and to see because that's like you know. At that time, that was like my five rep max. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to see if I do band hip thrust, if I could get a similar level of muscle activation. Well, the first few reps was way lower, but I think I did um, uh, um, from, it's uh, from Sorenex. I have the, it's called the, it's not the monster band. It's like the super monster band. This thing is so much tension. But I got 22 reps, and on my 22nd rep, I matched what I got on my fifth rep of the heavy weight. And that's cool because oh. some, some researchers believe that it's active. Primarily, it's just the activation that drives hypertrophy. Mm-hmm. You need to activate those motor units. And if you get them all, you know, activate them all, then you're going to get hypertrophy. And as you rep to failure, it's called the <clears throat> size theory or whatever the Carpinelli talked about this years ago that it's not so much load it's effort so if you do a set to failure you will end up you know pulling in all the motor units as as one's fatigue more ones are recruited in there so it'd be equivalent say if you did six reps to failure versus 20 reps to failure and if you look at the if you look at the literature on this it's pretty compelling that effort is very important it's more important than anything because you will get, but there are reasons why effort alone, like you can get more. So again, you got to go back to the factors. Does that maximize the the damage response? Well, you and again with damage, you aren't looking to maximize. You're looking to optimize because right. 
Well, all three of them, you could say that because with tension, if you get too much tension, you could snap the muscle. Right, Obviously, right, you don't right. want to tear the muscle, but um, there's different types of tension too. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're all related because there's also like passive tension. You can get a good stretch. Like um, right. with a squat, the glutes don't get the highest level of activation in a squat, but they do get muscle damage. And we know that some people get really good glute development out of squats. Yeah. And some people don't. So I, this is where I come in because I'm going, why do squats work so well for some people? And then you get some people who, like women, who's they're like strong at squats and they have good form. Well, here's my my experience is that every power lifter will just say, well, look at their form. They're not using their glutes. And I'm going, I'm a bio, like I'm a getting my PhD in biomechanics well, and their right, form right. looks fine to me. Right. But you can always tell that to any woman or, or man, mm-hmm. for that matter, and go, oh, you're not using your glutes in the squat, and they'll believe you. It's just like the physical, <laughs> you, you might agree with physical therapy. You can tell anyone anything. Your core is weak. Your glute medius is shut off. Your psoas is blah, blah, blah. Your multifidus, right. your TVA, your whatever, pelvic floor. They'll believe anything. So it's this, but right. I look, for, take a step further and go, maybe this guy responds well to a muscle damage stimulus. Maybe mm-hmm. this person responds better to the, to the mechanical stress stimulus or sorry the not mechanical stress, metabolic stress right. stimulus and they should be doing higher reps and things like that and again i could be completely wrong about this or i could be on to something but we're the point is we're like 10 years away from this you know mm-hmm. it, i, I want to circle back to uh, the occlusion training and the component of a muscle damage and metabolic stress uh a, I'm thinking there's a separation there between mechanical damage um, through the eccentric part of the motion or, you know, having the sarcomeres pulled pulled farther apart. Yep. Um, okay, so there there's a mechanical damage and then the metabolic uh, stress, if I'm thinking correctly, would be somewhat related to reactive oxygen species production because uh, we know if we actually shut that off, that we can limit hypertrophy quite a bit. So is that... Yep. Um, so within mechanical... So within or, metabolic stress yeah. is this mm-hmm. umbrella. You've got the ROS mm-hmm. um, stimulus. Yeah. You've got lactate. You've right. got... And Brad and I have talked about this. He's way smarter than me on this. But there's... Like where does hormonal malu fit in? Right, All the right. you know, hormones that are increased. And a, a lot of research indicates that that's not a primary factor for post-workout, like right after the workout, it's mm-hmm. not as important as people think. Raising testosterone, growth hormone, right. a cortisol, they'll all go up, yeah. growth, growth hormone. But it doesn't, it causes local hypertrophy, but not hypertrophy all over the body. Like we all used to say 10 years ago, mm-hmm. Kiefer, you and I were like, you got to do squats, squats jack up right. your testosterone. It makes, every, right. yeah, it makes, right. everything. It makes everything grow. You want a big right. neck? Squats. You want a big shoulders? Squat. Yep. You know, yep. We all used to say that. And yep. It's not, doesn't look like it's accurate. Now, I would postulate that it does help like squats and deadlifts because they give you a good base. Mm-hmm. I, right. When you do like, I'm six foot four and I do curls with, you know, I've done 10 reps with 135. That's a, you know, when I'm in the midpoint of the exercise, that's pretty far out lever. Yeah. You've got to have strong erectors. Yeah, yeah. You've got to have strong back muscles to to be able to do that. So I would postulate that it does help indirectly through just providing a 
better base so you can use more weight on every exercise. Right. Okay. But back to what you were saying, an interesting paper by Lenicky, he's probably the world's expert on blood flow restriction training. Mm-hmm. He showed that BFR training does not create much muscle damage at all, which is interesting because the first time you do oh. BFR, you'll get sore for a couple of days. Soreness and damage are pretty well correlated, but not mm-hmm. identical. Right. But anyway, you can, what's nice about blood flow restriction training is that it can, and now again, like we always say deadlifts hammer your CNS, but I don't exactly know how to, like, this is something, you know, when you, when you get your, when you're getting your PhD, you do a lot of research, you tend to, you, you become really good at knowing what you know and what you don't know. And so I can't right. confidently, I can confidently speak about certain topics, especially like mm-hmm. glutes and certain things biomechanics related. But even then, you know, I, I know enough about the limitations of every technology, whether it's force plate, EMG, you name it, MRI, ultrasound, dynamometers. I can right. tell you the li- strong limitations of every one of them. That's why you need to rely on a variety of factors, not just one. But uh, like, anyway, I lost my point at my train. I thought I was going to talk oh, about we a were, limitation of something. But um, We were talking about the occlusion training and it doesn't actually show much muscle damage. Um, but you get really sore, and then the the tangent started at yeah, that point. I lost. Usually, <laughs> usually I'm good at remembering my tangents. But. Yeah, there's something about deadlift. Yeah, well, yeah, oh, deadlift yeah, yeah, got yeah, in yeah, there good. and you, you know nice. wipes out. Good call. Okay, so deadlifts, they do like the, anecdotally speaking, and and again, when I okay, this is an interesting anecdote. I just deadlifted 601 for the first time. I finally got there. It took me so many years to get there of trying. In fact. Six years ago, I deadlifted 550, and I remember thinking, I'm like three months away from 600. It didn't didn't work out that way. But a year and a half, like a year, well, it's probably almost two years ago at this point, I had deadlifted 585. I was 15 pounds away from 600, and everyone's like, dude, you're right, you know, you're right around the corner from 600. And when I did that 585, I scared myself because I rounded so bad. Hmm. Um, I don't have the leg, you know, when you can. When your squat is so far behind your deadlift, the only way you're going to get it is to use your back and hips because right. you can't right. use your your knees, your quads to stay upright. Right. And I rounded so bad that I I scared myself. That two two nights in a row, I fell asleep like four hours earlier than I'm used to going to bed. I couldn't stay awake. I was and it was like you know probably three months before I did anything heavy again. Oh. And it just, that's when I first learned about, because my, my 585 pound deadlift, you can pull it up on YouTube. It was a 12 second lift. <laughs> I mean, you, you, most people can't fathom because they pull quickly. Right. They get that deadlift within like a, a few seconds. Mm-hmm. But I have this crazy ability to grind and that end range glute strength to lock it out, even though you're in a very poor position. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's when I realized how and that's taking it to the extreme but that's that's when i really realized what you know this cns or whatever but i right. think it's peripheral you, like you get damaged like the so i don't know how to measure that like i don't know how right. you we measure can't quantify it right. so it's hard to put it on a scale because or... i know you can if i start mm-hmm. if i sifted through the research I, okay you use <clears throat> you know s- some sort of you know technology with the brain i guarantee you there's something that can look at you know, there's because I have papers on decreased central drive, mm-hmm. but I also think it's peripheral risk, like damage and things like that. You you right. get you get muscle damage and 
this can affect strength through, you know, myokines and all these things. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, my, my, uh, blood flow restriction doesn't kick your butt. And that's what I like about involve, when you train to involve multiple exercises. Think about what the bodybuilders do. They'll do a, a heavy exercise and then they'll do some lighter stuff. Yeah. And that no one ever goes, man, those lateral raises crushed me or those hammer curls just <laughs> right. destroyed me. I can right. hardly get up in the morning. You know what I mean? So it just makes you appreciate like blood flow restriction training. If you're in a situation where you're beat up or like, you know, and you still want to provide that growth stimulus without digging too far of inroads into the whatever. I'm using right. like old fashioned terminology that might yeah. be outdated, but um, you can use that as a way to stimulate, a, you know, a different pathway without while giving your body rest and recuperation. So maybe during like deload weeks, it would be effective and it would could be effective for people who have injured themselves and are rehabilitating things like that. So I, I think it has interesting applications. Yeah, that that is very interesting. The, the occlusion training, you know, it's it's just front and center in my mind. There, There's a couple of things. And I want to go back to a couple other points you made on a conversation we had at lunch, I guess. Man, that was like yeah. eight months ago. Yeah, right, right. That was a while ago. Um, but with the occlusion training. Where I got a picture of you. And yeah. I was told yeah, that you never let people take pictures. So I, was, I should yeah. consider myself lucky. Yeah. Actually, that started to trend. After that, I was like, I guess I can start to let people take pictures. Um, just like maybe we'll get more in-studio guests now. Yeah. Right. Um, but with the occlusion training, I'm, I'm still stuck on. So I'm more of, um, you know, the, the metabolic uh, biochemistry guy when it comes to exercise and diet and looking all that stuff. And, you know, I'm just curious if I keep going back to this idea of the uh, metabolic stress that you're putting on the muscles when you do occlusion training and it being equivalent to temporary claudication. And we would look at uh, lack of oxygen availability. And so when we tap into the lactic acid cycle, uh, when we start going anaerobic, we get a lot more reactive oxygen species. And I'm kind of stuck on that recently because there's just some cool stuff coming out about um, the reactive oxygen species and the oxidative stress. And so I'm, I'm wondering if that's kind of a, you know, what would be interesting to me, and maybe you know if there's any studies on this, um, if they've done the occlusion training and given something like ibuprofen, which doesn't shut off the reactive oxygen species production, but shuts off the inflammatory response to that production. Um, and if there's been any limits in, uh, the, the results that we see under those conditions. I would add also, uh, it, in terms of, uh, the, a dose response curve, you know, is that a, of ROS, is that a linear relationship? Is it a U-shaped curve? I mean, what, what have you seen? And yeah, just add on to that question. So, yeah, and I know this is slightly askew of your, your expertise. So, right, right. Yeah. So, and, that, and that's a good point um, that you make, Kiefer, because um, what, another good thing you get at, and this is where I feel my expertise is, because I have that, my research review, mm-hmm. and it was, that's the smartest thing I've done, because this, this has never been about the money for me. Like, right. I'm not in this, you know, to, I mean, if I became a freaking millionaire, so be it, but it was never right. about the money. It's about, improving the industry and and promoting good strength and conditioning and when i started up my research review god it was like over two years ago i told chris my partner i said we we 
the goal is never to outsource this to someone else. <laughs> yeah. It's to make, it's to fund our research. If we can make a little bit of money to, um, uh, to, to, so we can get paid to pull up articles and read them. Right. Now I stay, I'm, I'm, because I sift through a hundred journals a month and I take that role. So, cause oh God, I get so busy. I don't want to do it, but then I'm so glad I do it every month. So I learn, uh, I have my area of expertise, like like I'm known as the glute guy, so I, I always yeah. stay an expert on the glutes, and that's what I'm pretty confident about, but, well, very confident about, but other things, I, I'm like a renaissance man, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I know a lot, of, or a, a little bit out of everything, but I learn who the major players are. So you're asking me about ROS, Brad Schoenfeld would be my go-to guy for that, but he might even have a go-to guy who does the actual... Because his lab can't look at that. His okay. lab can look at certain things, but he mm -hmm. might have a guy who he goes to. But I have my trusted sources who I can email with sprinting. It's J.B. Morin in France with, you know, spinal biomechanics. So I might email McGill. If Gil, it's on yeah. whatever I'm looking at, I know who the major player is. With the blood flow restriction, I would email that question to Jeremy Lenicky because he's going to know if they've looked at ibuprofen. I don't think they have. I haven't seen okay. anything on it. But what's interesting is you bring up ROS with with blood flow restriction training, because mm -hmm. I'm not even thinking about ROS, but that's another path, another potential. Right. But uh, you also have the fact that you are like, you know, it's, it, so there's the, the occlusion and the mm -hmm. hypoxia. Those are two right. different things. And the hypoxia, as you decrease the oxygen, you're going to stimulate more type 2 fibers mm -hmm. because the type 1 aren't, you don't rely on oxygen. Right. And you have the hypoxia has its own effects as well. And you have increased hormonal milieu and, you know, lactate right. and all these things. So it's, it's kind of cool when you, and I think this is why you and I get along. We like to look at, we love looking at the acute things because it can yeah. like, you, you know, I'm not so well versed in the nutrition sciences and things like that, sports yeah. nutrition, but I do know that you like looking at temporary acute, you know, um, you know, factors like if you eat this right after a meal or avoid this or whatever. Right. And it's always good to be put in check by people who study more of the long term yes, things. Exactly. Like, you know, because we can look at, you know, I can tell you that, for example, with hip thrust, you get a lot higher glute activation than you do with squats. Does that mean you mm -hmm. get more hypertrophy? You can postulate that you can hypothesize that but there right. is not a randomized controlled trial looking at this and until then you know i have my strong beliefs but right it's hell, you, still you, just a hypothesis it's a hypothesis and you need to be right. cautious and because it might not there there are like i said there are other reasons why mm -hmm. um and same with you know like a lot of the guys out there you know with nutrition stuff they could say okay yeah this does when you look acutely this does appear to be important but right. when you look at a long-term study same with with training long-term studies for strength and hypertrophy you know because we might think th three sets is so much more important than one set and the research does appear to support mm -hmm. that but one thing i can say is the first set is by far the most important you know i wouldn't right. feel comfortable going to the gym and just doing one set but i have experimented with that and i did see good results back in my mid-20s mm -hmm. and so i do know it can be effective but so it's good to be balanced out. You need the you need to be looking at both acute and long term. You need mechanistic right. stuff, 
and training stuff to show, you know, one of my favorite quotes, and you'll love this, Kiefer, is by that Richard Feynman. He was a, uh, I don't even know. If the I'm physicist right. Feynman, the, Richard Feynman. Feynman, yeah. Feynman the yeah. physicist. So you might know this quote, but he said, if, if it doesn't match experiments, it's wrong. Right. If theory doesn't match experiments, it's wrong. Exactly. So I can, I can yeah. razzle and dazzle anyone to, to, you know, when I'm at my seminars presenting, I can, I can get anyone to believe, you know, something because right. I'm passionate and I can explain it scientifically, but it doesn't make it right. Experiments make it right. Right. And multiple experiments yes. make it righter. And, and that's the, the point I've always tried to get to audiences and critics of mine say, oh, well, you're just looking over this at a short time scale. But, you know, my goal is to understand everything literally from the mitochondrial level up as much as I can. And I know that's a very, very significant goal that I'm going to be, you know, trying to do my entire life. But I think if you do that and you understand those processes, you can look at the longitudinal data and explain what's going on instead of just going with the longitudinal data and saying, oh, okay, well, we got these results and we're not care. We don't care about the physiological processes behind it. We're just going to do this because this long-term study showed this. I think you should be able to bridge that gap between looking at the long-term data and explaining it at the acute scale and vice versa. If you can come up, if you can understand a process in a different way at the acute level, start either pushing longitudinal research to look for you know, that being vetted or go back to longitudinal data that might already have clues for us. Um, and with car backloading, you know, I have all these mechanisms why, why I think it should work and why it does work. And then somebody does a three-month study on it in Israel and they actually find different effects that could be uh, more likely or just as important as the things that I had postulated. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm always looking back and forth between, you know, what, what I see at, just like you said, what I see at the acute level and can I match that up with what we see over the long term? And if I can't, then, you know, I'll back off and try to look for some other explanation that might be more likely. But if I do, then I'm going to look for more things to reinforce that. Yep. Um, could could I, not agree for the, the, you you get the, you know, it's funny, if I'm ever trying to maximize my knowledge on a topic, it's funny because I, I talk a lot about evidence-based mm -hmm. fitness or whatever, evidence-based coaching or whatever you want to call it, but it's never been about just looking at the, the research. You want to look at the longitudinal research, you want to look at the mechanistic research, you want to look at forums, because forums, it's okay, but you have to you have to know the hierarchy and what's credible. Mm -hmm. Forums can give you ideas, but you know that this you know, Johnny Guns 3000 is might, might not know what he's talking about, but he and he might be taking 18 supplements and changing his training and attributing something where it, you know, because I always say this growing a plant is hard. Like I have a hard time keeping plants alive and there's what, like two variables. There's like, so, well, three soil, water and sunlight. Right. right. And the soil isn't that important. So, well, I guess it is. I don't know what I'm talking about, but. I right, because one, you have a hard time keeping plants right, alive. <laughs> I remember one time thinking, how can I screw this up? There's two variables. <laughs> and with with human bodies, there's so many sleep, right. stress. I mean, give give a guy, you know, say you're looking at bench press versus like, you know, dips for hypertrophy. But, you know, give the bench press group a ton of stress and don't let them sleep. And dips Ooh. are going to come out the right. Major, you know, so 
that's why you need large sample sizes. But, um, but you need, you, you, you want to look at everything. You want anecdotes. You want, um, you know, to look at the history of things. You have to be a student of the, the sport, you know, the iron game history. You have mm-hmm. to, you have to learn through a variety of resources and you, the, the longitudinal guys that don't look at the acute stuff, they become um, myopic in a way, mm-hmm. and then vice versa. The acute guys that don't look at long, longitude. So you have yeah. to look at both, and like both sides keep each other in check. But I totally agree. Yeah. You have to, because if you don't hone in on the mechanisms, how do you take things to the next level? And it's, a lot of times people are like, yeah, you're looking at 1% differences or 2%, you know, but... Well, a lot of races are won by 2%, number one, yeah. and number two, and bodybuilders, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you understand that mechanism, there might be a way to uh, piggyback off it or e- e- extrapolate right. it to be meaningful over time. Or at least explore other possibilities. Yep. You know, I yep. think that's uh, the big thing with carb backloading is I looked at a very, very acute effect, and that's uh, glute four, non-insulin-mediated glute four translocation. And I constructed an entire paradigm around that and found other acute and longitudinal effects to help support it. But then I put it out in the wild and it was a way of eating that a few people had tried, but not a, not many people had tried because there was no compelling reason for them to try it. And now there is a compelling reason and they're trying it. And a lot of people are seeing really good results. So whether my acute argument is the actual reason they're seeing great results or there's something else I've missed, at least that looking at that acute effect led me in a different direction to recommend a different type of diet that we're now seeing does work yep. in a lot of ways and in ways we didn't expect. So, you know, that those things are it's so important to be willing to take those risks. I mean, I think sometimes you see something and people are scared to go against the grain. So they try to backtrack and explain it away instead of saying, well, you know, it's really interesting and... Let's see what happens. Yeah, and it's funny because we have a lot of very passionate people in our field. And that's good because it drives advancement. But I always have to take a step back and say, you know, like, whatever the diet, anything's a lot better than the Western diet, you know? Right, right. And if you see these bodybuilders that are seeing good results off you know, carbonite or whatever, then mm. what, I don't see how people go, that's the stupidest thing in the world or whatever. <laughs> right. Like, what did you see this guy had good results off of it? So I guess the argument could be that, well, he had good results because of this. It wasn't really this. And he, he didn't have to go that right. extreme or whatever. But I also like to give, when you do research and you see the inter-individual variation, you realize that there are a range of responses. Mm-hmm. So I like to give the, the anecdotal, the, the individual credit in knowing what, cause I'll tell you, I've tried certain things and they do not work for me. I've tried certain things and they work great for me. Mm-hmm. I go against the research. I mean, think about yeah. fit with, with strength coaches tend to be very myopic and they categorize things and it's so stupid. Think about like, like, you know, think about headaches. When you have a headache, some people are like, oh, I need or, Advil. Aspirin works great for me. Aspirin does nothing for me. I like Tylenol. I like ibuprofen. I like oh, right. Aleve. Everyone has different, you know, some guys don't respond to Viagra. So like, <laughs> which, Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's another problem entirely. <laughs> yeah. 
So Rocky will need to bring me back to <laughs> right. bring me back to to off my tangent. But anyway, you see these wide, very I mean, um, if you know nurses, they can tell you so many different, you know, what sometimes you have patients that do this, we gotta do this to them. Mm-hmm. And you look at like you look at strength kind I I belt heads with the powerlifters. Like I I you know, I'm not a good powerlifter. I have a good deadlift, but my squat and bench is not good. Mm-hmm. But I still enjoy competing. I love the sport. But when you train a woman for maximum glute, like they just want their glutes to look better. That's their primary goal. I always tell them, because they read that squats are the best thing for glutes. Deadlifts right. are the best thing for glutes. Sprints are the best thing for glutes. And I say, don't do any. Well, you can do them, but don't. Mm. If I can't tell you how many women who have read that sprinting is good. And then they add that in and they always either irritate their SI joint, pull a hammy or pull a hip flexor. You, you, sprinting is, is not like key for right. you and I just went out and raced right now, like a hundred meters. We would break. Yeah. It would, you know? it would not be pretty. Right. We'd complete it, but we yeah. would not be happy about it. Right. So it's risky business. Same mm-hmm. with squatting and deadlifting. Like if you have a coach, but a lot of these people don't have coach, I'm helping right. people on the internet and I'm telling them, you know, I'll look at their <laughs> form and I'm going, okay, I know I could help them have better form, but it would, I'm not right there with them. So I tell them do squats and deadlifts, but don't, um, there's so many reasons why anthropometry is a factor. You get these, they listen to the powerlifters. They will say, as you gain mass, you know, you're le- like for taller guys, Dave Tate once told me you'd need to, you know, at six, four, you need to weigh about three twenty to be any good at powerlifting. I believe him because, um, and right. it took me a long time to kind of understand why gaining weight would change your leverages around it mm-hmm. shifts the moments around to where you're more balanced. But anyway, the w- women's bodies are not like these big giant men They're They right. tend to be lankier. And so they don't have some of them when they squat, they fold like an accordion. They, you know, someone when they deadlift, they might round round too much. Mm-hmm. And so they could hurt themselves. So just so, and, and but they'll see a video of another woman squatting 225 or deadlifting 275 mm-hmm. and they want to get there so if you chase numbers and it, it, you're stubborn and let your it, we, we've all done it yes. you know I, oh, i'm gonna let sure. my form slide and you get mm-hmm. hurt and i always tell the women i can get your glutes looking better if you don't hurt yourself you know <laughs> right and well, so do the exercise that don't like hip, hip thrust back extensions throw those in when those don't hurt you you know right. single leg stuff it's, it's very rare that someone hurts themselves doing a walking lunge or something, you know what I mean? Right. Or a back extension. It, it, and of course you got to learn good form with everything. Mm-hmm. But the point is you're less likely to injure yourself and therefore exactly. it can keep progressing instead of having to like injure yourself back off. Yep, injure yourself exactly. back off. I don't know how I got on that tangent. Um, I don't know what that had to yeah, do. Yeah, I don't know. Anything, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a good point, though. That's, it's somehow we went from longitudinal stuff right. to coaches become myopic <laughs> to don't injure yourself if you want better glutes. But, you know, whatever, however that works. Right, right. Well, to, to say I'm out of my element would be an understatement. So I'm going to kind of pull this back to a more naive question, maybe. It would be, you know, we started this conversation off about these pilot cases that you have and look at the EMGs and how they're contracting and how they're, they're functioning. Obviously, you know, it, it, I would assume it'd be optimal if everyone could kind of get their own blueprint. Um, lat, for, without being able to do that, then how does the average Joe kind of then figure some of this stuff out? Or what, what are the simple, practical things you can do? That's a great question. Yeah. And Kiefer can probably chime in here too. But like, 
self-experimentation yeah, would be my it's first. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's why you, you, it, you, you can go read all these things, but at the, at the end of the day, you've got to experiment. And it's funny because I, I remember someone was, I was um, at a talk and someone brought up, um, you know, like research is the be all end all. And I'm like, look, if, if I were knew nothing about powerlifting and I wanted to fast forward my knowledge of powerlifting, guess what I'm going to do? Go join a gym with powerlifters and right. say, can you take me under your wing? Because in six months, you're going to see so much more progress just copying them. Whether right. their system is ideal or not for you is, is irrelevant because you're going to they're going to teach you so many nuances that you didn't know about form and you just get on any system and then you fine tune it over time. You experiment, you tinker, mm -hmm. you read research and that, but the people who poo poo on research, you know, look at even like Louis Simmons. Why did he come up with a good protocol? Cause he was reading Soviet stuff before anyone right, was right. Uh, look at the people who have advanced the field. It's usually cause they were reading research and they, they, it's the, sometimes I feel like a detective cause I used to watch all those detective shows and read in my twenties, I, I used to love reading and then I got too busy. <laughs> I like reading like non, mm -hmm. nonfiction. Um, and, um, or no fiction, fiction, fiction. God, I forgot, <laughs> forgot that word. Um, so the detectives, you wouldn't, no detective would go screw the paperwork. I just learned in the field. Like you have to look over the case notes and try mm -hmm. to find a loophole. And same thing with strength and conditioning. And that's why you and I, Kiefer, we're like the guys who are trying to find these connections and right. we're pouring over the literature and looking at acute things and all that and trying to find meaning in these different potential mechanisms that could maximize responses. So I would just say, like I remember at the uh, fitness summit a couple weekends ago, Brad Schoenfeld mentioned that he thinks that epigenetics is a huge um, potential. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that could be very big in the next 15 years or so, but we're not there yet. Um, you can't, uh, same thing with biomechanics, and this ties into what I was saying earlier. You might be able to look at your anthropometry and do like some sort of thing, and but you'd need to know so much data. You need to know your, um, you know, ratio of, torso to femur to tibia length, your joint centers, your muscle mass and things like that. And you could predict, okay, you're going to be able to stay and you didn't need to look at mobility. Mm -hmm. You know, like people don't know this, but I have a paper. A lot of people just like I was at a, the coaches. Um, God, I always get it. CSCCA conference this weekend. And I heard a popular coach say, if you don't leave a stain on the floor, it's not a squat. And I could write that on my Facebook right now and get a mm -hmm. thousand likes and so many shares. Yeah. But it's so stupid because I have a study <laughs> looking at hip range of motion, 200 subjects they looked at, and the range of hip flexion mobility, I'm not talking about range of motion from mm -hmm. hip flexion to extension, I'm talking about the inter-individual dif differences be in, in um, how far you can bring your leg up into hip flexion. Mm -hmm. okay. It ranged from 80 to 140 degrees. So that, so some guys have 80 degrees of hip flexion. That's not even a right angle. You right. can't even get to close to parallel in a squat or in any oh. subsequent increased depth will be achieved through a combination of posterior pelvic tilt and lumbar flexion. And if you right. insist on, and I met the, this Dan McKimmy's the, 
Highland Games champion right now. Mm-hmm. Strongest, no, best Highland Games guy in the world. Yeah. He's like 6'5", 295. <laughs> if you listen to McGill talk, he'll tell you that certain, like, you know, the, the Celtic hip or whatever, the like Scottish people tend mm-hmm. to have deep hip sockets and they can't go, you know, they, they can't go into too much flexion or they round but they're great at things that aren't involved that don't that are more neutral ranges of hip motion they're okay. great at these highland games events where you're throwing things and it's more more relies on in range hip extension and external hip external rotation strength so the anatomy drives performance conversely some of the asian populations can squat rock bottom and they're they have way more hip range of motion they make for great olympic squatters and things like that um but you know, we're years off from all this stuff, looking at, at so many years off. And one day, yeah. I guarantee you, like 30 years from now, people will people will pull up this podcast. It'll be like on, <laughs> it's so outdated. It'll be like yeah. this will be equivalent to an eight track. <laughs> and they'll be like, oh, Kiefer and Brett were talking about this years ago. And like I look back at uh, yeah. the Wild West days and like, you know, you had tuberculosis. You had to move to Arizona. Yeah, like, right. You know, like. <laughs> And that's how it'll be 30 years from now. We'll have supplement. Well, there, there was, I thought I was very promising was that those, uh, what were they? The, the, the nuts, uh, God, I don't know why I can't remember the acronym, but they would, they would attach to the androgen receptor without. Oh, the SARMs. SARMs. Yeah. I was thinking SARMs. I'm like, that's yeah, selective SARMs, yeah. androgen receptor, receptor modulators. Right. Yeah. Um, but I don't think anything promising. Yeah. Came they didn't that, really but, pan out. Yeah. But there's a lot of things that are promising. I remember coming yeah. across a study the other day on that they found the chemical that is responsible for like why like uh, bears will maintain their muscle mass in hibernation. During hibernation, yeah. I actually I saw something about that as well. Yeah, and I'm like, man, I need to get my hands on that. <laughs> right. Get jacked out of my mind. <laughs> yeah, you know, like so there's so much potential and we'll continue to I mean it's just like in any field, the rate of progress is amazing. But as for yeah. now, we're not, it was a good, great question, Rocky. We're not there yet. So all you can do is experiment and find what works best for you and be open-minded to needing to be different than other people and not trying to just copy. So many people will just go, who's my favorite powerlifter? Who's my favorite bodybuilder? Yeah. Who's my favorite, you know, women, this men and women both do this, but this drives me crazy when a woman goes, Oh, look at this. You know, look at Jen Selter's butt. I'm going to copy her program. And what does she do? She walks on the treadmill and does bodyweight squats. You know, how, is that going <laughs> right. to pan out for you? Like, right. That does. She's got great glute genetics. You can't do what she does and get her butt. You've got to do something different. I, I think you bring up and all of this is leading to a really important point and something that we see with the explosion of the Internet has caused this, um, you know, exponentially. And that's where people who've had singular individual results for themselves all of a sudden put out this program, you know, whether it's a diet program or this is their exercise program or like, oh, this is going to work for everybody. And people get really excited about it and start following because they like that person. But the odds of it having any significance to a very large population is very, very small. And that's where it becomes important to understand the mechanisms at an acute level or a microscopic level and also working with people. I mean, you know, I was one of those people that thought research was the end all be all when I first started this. And I, you know, I knew so much information and I got stuff to work for myself. 
And then I started working with other people for 10 years. And that was a massive game changer that completely changed my understanding of the body of individual differences of applicability of context. I'm a big context guy. I'm like, I may, I might make a certain statement, but you better damn be sure what context I made that statement in because it's probably not appropriate for 90% of the people. Um, so that totally changed how I think of all of this is, you know, working with people. So when you jump on board with somebody's like, oh, this is what I did. This is the magic program. You really need to step back and say, okay, did this person ever work with anybody? Can this person explain this at a microscopic scale or even a cellular scale? Does this person have any data more than the three months that they ate grapefruit and nothing else? You know, it's, you got to look at that and does it make sense? Well, grapefruit has an isoflavone and that's the reason that it made me drop all this body fat or is it something a little simpler like the fact that they were basically starving themselves for three months? And, you know, uh, so you bring up a, a really, really good point of, um, and, and everything you've talked about, how you talked about people have different possible uh, firing programs for, you know, this exercise is going to cause them to uh, fire at this range and that's the maximum for them. Whereas another person will fire at a different range in a different exercise. You know, the individualism is so important and that's why self-experimentation, I mean, there's no substitute for it right now. Like you said, we, we don't have the technology to substitute for self-experimentation at the moment. I, this is like something I'm very, you, you just touched on something I'm mm -hmm. very, very passionate about. And I, I can't tell you it's, it's, you know, inherently we are, we are all biased. You cannot, t the bias is a human element. You know, we, we're not robots, we're humans and we, we are biased. We, it's our nature. You have to be, cause you can only go by what you know right. and, you know, and <clears throat> here's another of my favorite from Richard Feynman. <laughs> Feynman. Feynman. Um, he, I, I have this video I watched and he, he talked about, you know, like, I think his example was the, um, um, like organic foods and things like that. Mm -hmm. And he said, I, I read their, their claims and it just, you know, he, to, to really know something, I know how much work is involved to really know something and they haven't done the work. They, right. they, they make this claim based on this and that's not knowing that's, you know, he's a physicist and would have to do dozens or hundreds of hours of mathematical calculations to be confident. I mean, look at the Higgs boson, like how many, they right. had to have supercomputers. Right. To look for a possible look, right. track to show that maybe, you know, that was the signature for the Higgs. Yeah. And then you get guys like us who are like, oh my God, I, you know, and we're all guilty of it. Mm. You know, I, I. This transferred for me, so that I started doing this accessory lift, and it, it transferred over for this, or it I increased this, so it's got to work for everyone. And that you just defined every popular coach out there; they all do it. You know, this worked right. for me, so it's this. I've stumbled upon the secret. Well, you don't know, and and it's funny because it's I can't tell you how many blog posts I've read by coaches who diss on something and then they'll confess that they've never tried it. And I'm going, <laughs> right, what? Right. And I, I just want to tell them, look, you know, like I'm not the most popular guy out there, but if you look at my numbers, I have increased my popularity gradually, like very consistently mm -hmm. year in and year out. And it's because, you know, I don't write about stuff that I don't have a, a, the slightest clue about. I, if, right. if I want to write about something, I care about my, 
I care about being right. My integrity matters. Like, I don't want to write something that's wrong. So if I'm going to write about an exercise, I'm going to do it for a a month. I'm going to get good at it. And then I'll write about it or a program or, you know, I don't write about programs that I haven't tried. I might speculate and just mention them in passing, but I won't write a whole article on something I have no clue about. And think about... Think about how how many people will say I you know look at the bench press the most popular exercise out mm-hmm. there but probably seventy five percent of people love it and twenty five percent say oh, I don't feel it in my pecs or I don't do this or right. I don't it hurts my shoulders or it's the least important exercise right period. it's the worst yeah. exercise yeah. in existence you'll find that this huge mm-hmm. variation of responses to every exercise you can pull up articles on the bench press. The squat, the deadlift, and now the hip thrust, there's a bunch of articles surfacing about mm-hmm. how stupid it is. And think about <laughs> right. it. What if you're that guy who, whose glutes don't activate well in a hip thrust, and you feel your quads and hamstrings, and you do a set, and you're like, this is stupid. Well, you don't know that probably 75% of women do it, and it's the first time they've felt their glutes burning like crazy. Mm-hmm. Or so, so you can't just generally, you need, this right. is why it's important to train people. Because yes. when you train pe- all the people, all the coaches out there who really train people and employ mm-hmm. like the hip thrust, for example, they, they, they're like, my clients love this. My athletes, I just met a ton of coaches this weekend, collegiate coaches at the conference mm-hmm. and their, their athletes love it. Same thing with different diets and things like that. You look at, um, you know, why someone might've gotten ripped or something. Well, maybe they were eating so much carbs before and they did a right. low carb they- diet or vice versa, they were on low right. carb for so long, they started eating more carbs, and then they, they got big. Yeah, right. and there is research showing that people who are very sensitive to insulin do better on a, a low fat diet, and people who mm-hmm. are less, resp- you know, insulin resistant do better right. on low carb diets. So right. it matters what your current physiology is like. Context. Yeah, yeah, and what they were doing before, and how long that worked for them. And you know what I mean? And then there's hysteresis effects too. Did you transition from a high carb diet to a low carb diet and then you did high carb again, you know, and that's ignored a lot. You know, what did you do previously? And that has biological effects, uh, you know, significant biological effects that can last for a significant amount of time. So you have to pay attention to that kind of stuff. Um, And that's, you know, that's why I hate the internet and that's why I hate Facebook so much more these days because there's so many people who've done nothing or they just read research. Uh, there's a website that's become somewhat popular and the guys literally, they've even talked about it on Facebook, they scrape Wikipedia for to put together their articles and they throw that up there and they act like they're an expert because they put together all these Wikipedia articles and they've done a few independent ones, but they've never worked with anybody. They've never worked with anyone and they're, they're saying, well, you know, this this is stupid. Look at this article that we wrote. Like, Have you ever worked with anybody? Have you ever done this on yourself? Have you ever done this with a group of people? I mean, I've got probably uh, around 50,000 people now trying car backloading. I've got a significant group, of, significant amount of information. Some of it's negative. A lot of it's positive. But it helps me to refine it. And like, where did I screw up is my first thought. Like, where did I screw up in understanding this? So that I can make it more general or these people, these are, this is not an appropriate population to be on this diet. You know, you need to try something else and you, you can't do that if you don't have a large group of people, at least trying it. It, I got to butt in here because I I don't want to forget this. (laughs) You hear the, 
So think of my situation. I started out, I owned my own studio mm-hmm. and I had a lot of, it's funny cause I didn't, I never did any advertising, but I had unique methods with glutes, glute training. And it was the women who I, I thought I was going to be training athletes, <laughs> but like, you know, one girl after another would, they, they uh-huh. call their friends and they'd go mid workout. I had this happen twice mid workouts. It was always the mom would, I would be training a mom and she'd call her daughter in the middle of the workout and go, you got to get over here. And then they, <laughs> they, they, the, the daughter would then show up like 15 minutes later and then I'd put her through a workout. <laughs> And then they tell That's all awesome. their friends. And so within three months, I had 55 clients. I had to hire two trainers. And so I had a lot of experience, but I, but mm-hmm. I had uh, all my clients would say, Brett, you got to start writing. You need to get out there. You need to popularize your methods. We've trained with all the trainers here in Phoenix and you've got the mm-hmm. best system. But I was too tired. I couldn't write after the after training all day. Yeah. Oh, my God. It is. And sometimes sometimes I have days like that where I train I don't even have days where I train, you know, eight, eight, eight straight hours. Mm-hmm. Some guys are training 10 to 12 hours. I don't know how they do that. It is so draining, especially if you're a passionate type of guy, because I pour my energy out. If I have three hours in a row where I'm training, I am exhausted. But anyway, I had to stop my stu- my lease ended. I quit had my studio and I started writing on the Internet. I started up a blog and then the mm-hmm. whole Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, right, and then and eventually that, Instagram yeah. and all that. And then, um, and then go, slowly but surely I've gotten popular. And then now I have, so I still train people in real life, but I have online, um, uh, like my get glutes yeah. forum. So you get tons of feedback this way, way more so than if you didn't have an online presence. Right. So it's very, so I agree with you. You can learn a ton. I remember, um, like when I, used to do Bulgarian split squats in my studio. I had them drape their leg over a rounded surface. So like a rounded pad. Mm -hmm. And I would have them do high rep Bulgarian split squats. And we had like 12 different women who could do a hundred Bulgarians. No, not 12. I had probably 12 that could do like 70 Bulgarian split squats Mm -hmm. in a row. They got good at it because you when the things you keep track of, they get really good at. Yeah. And women are like endurance machines in the gym. They can just keep like I couldn't. I can barely do twenty Bulgarian split squats with body weight. I think the most of. I think I got to fifty at one point and it killed me. But like, if you said I'll give you a hundred bucks right now if you can get thirty, I don't know if I could do it. It would be the worst thing ever. But anyway, these girls could. I had one girl did a hundred and another girl did one hundred and twenty reps. I mean, it's like a five wow. minute set. Yeah, but no one ever hurt themselves. Well, I do that. I introduced that challenge to my online community mm-hmm. and I had like three different girls report to me that they hurt their hip flexor. I felt uh, horrible, but they weren't doing it the way I did it with the rounded pad. They were doing uh, it with their back foot up on a bench Okay. and you know, I wasn't there. Maybe there were, you know, I didn't clarify, oh, make right. sure you don't, the back leg doesn't go into, you don't go into anterior pelvic tilt mm-hmm. or whatever, or, you know, but anyway, I, I, how would I have known this had I not had a ton? So now I won't right. recommend that challenge a- anymore. There's things you learn that well, you couldn't possibly learn because you're getting tons of feedback from, from, you know, I don't have anywhere near 50,000. I don't think we have a few hundred subscribers to get mm-hmm. clues, but that's still a large, you you get a lot of feedback. Yeah. It really doesn't good. take many people to start getting really useful feedback. 
and they have their own situ- logistics and situations mm-hmm. and unique differences. So you hear, yeah, I agree. So you hear yeah. so much, and that in, that that individual response, you know, research yes. reports averages. I wish more research. And to me, I always, I've never understood the the people that are like research is stupid. Look at this guy; he never did research. Yeah. He, but that doesn't mean he wouldn't be better if he mastered the science. Right. Like, and vice versa, the researcher who never did any work in the field, he would be better if he did. It's both. You right. gotta have both, and e- either alone will will be inferior for your own knowledge and your learning. And you're not gonna yeah. advance the field without doing both. Right. I would definitely agree that you know whether you're a researcher or a clinician, a provider, a trainer, that you know probably the best. People in those situations are the ones that can take the research and then make that practical application into the field. And obviously you have to be able to do the research on your own and then also apply it to a client base, whether again, it's a patient or a a client. And that obviously is the hardest thing to do for a lot of people. And I often see these things where people, you know, where, where, where providers, whether the provider, like I said, is a trainer or a clinician, the blinders are on all the time. And I, you know, that's the person you kind of want to run away from. And Rocky, you said you're in the physical therapy field? Uh, No, I'm a family medicine doctor. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, he's an actual MD. That's why I latched onto him because he can do things and (laughs) tell people to do things and get information that I can't get. Sure. Um, And that was huge for me. You know, there's a lot of stuff uh, in because of the position I'm in. Like, I can't get a lot of data or I can't get blood work, you know, information as easily. And being able to work with Rocky has been so valuable. I mean, I've seen things that I never would have imagined where it's like, holy shit, how did that physiological response even happen? Yep. And it makes me go back and look at a lot more information and try to track it down. It's helped so much. Um, it, it's, it's just been amazing and invaluable. That's the whole reason I moved to Phoenix. Really. Well, in, in, in all of the fields, it's as an MD as a strength coach, biomechanist, as a sports nutritionist, body composition specialist, you, you can't just study your specific field because all of the fields that feed into it, and that's why the sciences are so important. You need to understand biology, chemistry, physics, mathematics, you know, and those all feed into it's just in statistics. I'm not well versed in statistics. That's a weakness of mine. And I need to, if I, uh, you know, one of these <laughs> decades, I need to improve my, <laughs> my knowledge of that to take me to the next level because, right. you know, I know the basics about like calculating effect sizes and things like that. But mm-hmm. when you understand statistics, a lot of times you can look at things like, okay, that's not really a big deal. There right. Those or that was an inappropriate test. Or, or those researchers yeah. were just looking for, you know, fishing for something to get published and it's, you know, yeah. Yeah. You, you, there's so many things that you can learn that way. So, um, but yeah, the, the, going back, the individual response is something that's so underestimated in this field. And when you work Mm -hmm. with people, if you are stubborn, I mean, how stupid it would be? Hey, Brett, every time I do squats and deadlifts, they hurt me. Can I like, what if I was like, no, you're being a pussy. (laughs) Right. Squat and deadlift. <laughs> you want to be jacked like me? You squat and deadlift. Right. Everyone I know, you know, you have to accommodate. Okay, don't do that. Well, you let's can do find a alternative. single leg squat pattern. Let's mm-hmm. try a reverse lunge, front loaded. Let's try a single leg RDL, 
braced, you know, holding on to a, a dumbbell in the other hand while you're holding on to a pole. See if that works well for you. And you, you have to help the individual. And that's where the experienced coach comes into play. You help the individual. And right. I, I was a good coach, but I wasn't necessarily a good online coach. And yeah. I, that's yeah. something I became good at over time, being a good online coach, because there are situations that you're not familiar with. You have to get <laughs> right. your thinking cap on. Right. You have crazy stuff come across your doorstep once you open that online world. Yeah. It's like I had somebody, uh, I, I don't even think you asked the question, did you, Rocky? The uh, individual who, what's what's the syndrome that it, they're XXY instead of being oh, XY yeah. or Kleinfelter XX. syndrome. Yeah, Kleinfelter syndrome. Somebody with Kleinfelter syndrome uh, asked a question about doing diet. It's like, well, you know, I'm XXY. Should I do the diet more geared towards what you recommend for women? Or should I do it more towards what you recommend for guys? I'm like, there is no way in a million years (laughs) that I would have anticipated this question or this situation. But that's what happens when you, when you open this information up and start having more and more people try it, you get things you would have never imagined. And to piggyback off of that, (laughs) here's what I found. And I bet you'll agree with me. The vast 99% of fitness fitness experts they don't know enough science to understand the possibilities. They're so like functional training. Their understanding of functional training is they don't understand. They've never ever looked at the science behind, for example, eccentrics and lengthening muscle. Uh, it, it builds sarcomeres in series. Blazevich's work shows that that happens for five to six weeks, but you will increase fascicle length and build, you know, increase flexibility through lengthening muscle. Well, so that means that a Nordic ham curl could be very valuable for preventing hamstring injury during sprinting. That's just one factor. A lot of Mm -hmm. coaches are, they need to be reductionists and they have to reduce it down to one thing. Mm-hmm. I hurt my hamstrings. Oh, it's got to be strength or it's got to be flexibility. No, it's actually anatomy plays a huge role. Your hip and tendon insertion points mm-hmm. and all that. Um, anatomy, fatigue, strength, flexibility, core strength. You know, the pelvis controls hamstring length. Mm-hmm. Um, glute activation can spare hamstring injury. So though, yeah. I just named five factors that all influence and they're all interrelated. That was a great paper by Brugelli and, and Mendiguccia. talking about how they're all interrelated and you can have one person with great anatomy and you know but he might have subpar whatever strength and flexibility Mm -hmm. he won't hurt his hamstrings but another person who has poor anatomy but has a strong hamstring and flexible hamstring and but he gets fatigued and then boom it leads to injury so they're all related but anyway we tend to be reductionist we tend to Oh, B, what is that? Uh, the something, the something Kruger effect or whatever, where we overvalue our, we're overly confident about our knowledge. Um, oh, I'm, and it's a human condition. Right. We and Americans know. actually rank at the highest of that Probably scale. No, we do. They've done that. that <laughs> Americans rank higher yeah. on that scale than any other industrialized nation. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah. But we don't, like so many scientists don't know enough about the mech, the, the science to imagine the possibilities, to say, to even theorize about what could, you know, like the, it's just, it blows me away. And I just want to say, I always want to put on my blog that, that, um, it's like in that, that movie, um, 
good with Paul Walker and Vin Diesel, uh, the racing movie. What's the name of it? Uh, um, Fast and the Furious. Fast and the Furious, where they initially race and Paul Walker gets out and he's like laughing and Vin Diesel's like, why are you laughing? And he's, he's like, oh, dude, I almost had you. And then Vin Diesel goes off on this. You didn't have me. You didn't have your car. You were like uh, right. double clutching and granny shifting. I don't yeah. even know if I'm getting right. Yeah, I don't I, understand those terms. Th- that sounds close. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, and like this person thinks they, they're putting you in your place about like functional training. If it's not standing, it can't possibly transfer to anything. And it's like, <laughs> have you read the study showing Leg extensions help old people. Like, you know, two people could ditch their canes after they did leg extensions. <laughs> and that doesn't look like a functional thing, but right. it built their quad strength. And mm-hmm. just anything that builds muscle mass has to translate into, you know, like, gee, I just deadlifted 601 and my quads and my adductors and my glutes are bigger. Like, go figure. All I right. could not do it at my previous mm-hmm. state of muscle mass. And you can say, well, strength is about neural gains and all this, but we're doing the lifts week in, week out. Muscle mass helps out. It's going to increase. I always joke, like when people say this exercise, like Usain Bolt, he and Johan Blake, two of the fastest guys in the world, they're training, you look at it, and they're doing a lot of machines. And they get down on that butt blaster type machine and do a rear kick, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and they do it for high reps. It builds glute mass. So people, I've heard coaches go, that's not functional. Okay, so you see Usain's <laughs> right. glute working when he does that. You can right. watch the video and see him working his glute. So if so, I'm like, I want to say that, okay, so if you built that, say you built up your glute muscle during squats, then it's connected to nerves and you can innervate it when you sprint. But if you built it through that kickback motion, it's just Play-Doh that's it's attached. It's dead muscle. It's dead yeah. muscle that's... <laughs> it, it, it looks different. It's just gray, like, you know, under a, under a, <laughs> under a, like a, a yeah. MRI and just is not innervated. Like your brain is that stupid to where it can't <laughs> figure out how to innervate that muscle. And it makes me so annoyed at how stupid these coaches are and how little they know. And they're just clueless. It's... And it's fr- such a frustrating thing because they, they, it's the same Vin Diesel speech. They don't have yeah. their car. They don't know enough to even speculate about things right and that that's an important point and um you know the internet half people try to build their popularity on the internet by being negative and critiquing things and that's always interesting to me you know if you put anything out there and you know this brett like you get critiqued so heavily and people attack you and you know other people praise you but the attacks i always find interesting um because you know one of my favorites was you know i was talking about of fat storage from eating carbohydrates and how carbs can contribute to that fat storage. And this person goes into this whole thing about, well, we know that carbohydrates can't be converted into fatty acids very effectively in the human body. Therefore, you know, carbohydrates can never contribute to significant fat gain. But what they ignored and what they didn't understand, and this is probably just their own ignorance, is that to store fat, it's not just the fatty acids, they're triglycerides. And we need that glyceride backbone, which is a three carbon molecule that comes from sugar. So the more carbohydrate you ingest, the more fatty acid you can actually store. And they've shown that uh, up to 40% of the carbon mass in fat cells came from ingested carbohydrates. That's huge. But that doesn't mean that the carbohydrates were converted to fat. The carbohydrates were necessary to bind the fat together to get stored. You know, that's kind of a complex process and that's, you need to be aware of all the processes, but this person was just like, oh, 
carbs don't turn, sugar doesn't turn into fat very effectively. Therefore, carbohydrates could never contribute to fat storage. It's like, are you an idiot? I mean, like, why are you ignoring all these other processes and just looking at what happens in the liver? Um, and, and you get those critiques all the time. People know a little bit and they think that little bit that they know is the end of knowledge. That's where you run into very significant problems. I know this and this is probably it. You know, this is the major effect. You know, it's funny. A um, couple of things come to mind here and you say that. Number one, I look at the age of the Internet now. Like, let's say this was 20 years ago, Kiefer and you and I arrived onto the scene and we trained Arnold. And, right. you know, I had Arnold do hip thrusts and his glutes grew or you put him on carb night and he got ripped. Mm -hmm. Well, there were like 10 magazines back then and or like 20 years ago, you know, like mm -hmm. it was and, and Arnold talked about it in, you know, muscle and fitness or flex or whatever. Or whatever yeah. And boom. It's worldwide. Mm -hmm. And that's how it was. That's how information was disseminated back then. And now you can't like overnight hip thrust would have been done worldwide. But Ooh. now you still go into gyms and you're starting to see more of it. But mm -hmm. I always want to go over and be like, hey, do you know, I am the creator of that they'd be <laughs> like, whatever. Shut up. Right. But, but you, you see it more now. But it's mm -hmm. still, you can go into gyms and not see one person doing them. Right. Um, and it's like, it, the, it takes a long time for things to, to, you know, and, Propagate, and it's, it, yeah, yeah it, can't, it can't, you know, I can, I, and trust me again, like how much, how much research is there, is there on squats being effective? And you can, you will read, you can type in like, you know avoid squats or whatever and you'll find mm -hmm. so many articles about right so it doesn't matter if there's re you could publish 20 journal articles on carb night and you would still have you would get more haters right it's just the way things work no one remains unscathed in this day and age type Absolutely. in your favorite celebrity and you'll find so much crap about them the more it's just the law of how things work the more popular you get the more hate you get and you and i have we're open-minded to dis discussions and we'll entertain any possibility as long as the person is respectful. Like I right. was on my Facebook yesterday and I posted a before and after picture of, and I felt so bad because this, her name's Sasha. She emails me, Brett, check this out. You, you asked me for a before picture. I finally found one. Mm -hmm. Here's my glutes from a year ago and here they are today. And it's insane. Like you, it's like went from, uh, she had a nice butt. It's it's cute and mm -hmm. perky, but went to like an amazing like, like some people think she has too much glutes because there's, <laughs> it's like this round, bubbly. Mm -hmm. It's amazing, but she's darker in the second picture because she did a spray tan. And if you work oh, with right. bikini competitors or figure athletes, you know this. Right. It's like not shocking. Mm -hmm. I didn't even think about that. I posted on my Facebook and all these. It's this weird thing because. Kiefer, this is a funny story. I had two, uh, my two assistants uh, were over, Joey and Andrew, and I can't remember the guy's name, but I posted a picture because women get mad at me for only posting pictures of women's butts mm -hmm. on my blog. So I try to put in men from time to time to be, you know, to balance right, it out. Balance it. And I have no problem doing that. It's just that there are not as many pictures, you know? Yeah. But I stumbled across this guy and so I posted the picture and, but we were looking at him and, and, and we're like, dude, look at this guy. 
and we they were right next to me on the couch and we we were looking for like three straight minutes and we were going holy crap god that guy's ripped look at his abs and then i'd be like look at his quads oh my god all of us were admiring and no one was like oh my god look at his skinny calves we weren't trying to pick him apart i don't think guys do that as much as like i'm not threatened by him i look at him it motivates me Mm-hmm. And I think this women, it does the same thing because look at all the fitspiration, but a certain yeah. percentage of, of men and women, but I think more women do this. They like, I remember the Victoria's Secret pageant was on and I could look at my Facebook feed, that little scrolling thing. Yeah. And just one by one, you know, cause I've got tons of fitness friends and they'd be like, Oh my, look at these skinny bitches. Like, <laughs> Oh my God, eat a twin, you know, eat, eat something. You skinny. Right. And it's like, these are the hottest women in the world. Come on. They're right. Victoria's secret models. Maybe you want to look different from them. That, that just doesn't make them, but it's, it triggers something. Um, anyway, so I posted this yeah. picture and I got certain people and I felt bad. Cause I asked this when she sent me the pictures, I mm-hmm. said, Hey, do you mind if I share this on my social media channels? She's like, yeah. And then, I tag her and then she has to read these people insulting uh, her. So I felt horrible. So I had yeah. to go back to, uh, last night. I wrote on my Facebook page. I wrote this long thing about this is my page. I'm the moderator and I won't let it go down the gutter by being, you know, you're, if you're disrespectful, you're getting banned. Yeah. Uh, Cause I can't control what people say on other websites, but I can right. on mine. I am all about discussion, critical analysis, scrutinizing. Let's, let's analyze things. Let's, Let's right. have a scientific discussion, but you better be polite or else I, I want nothing to do with you. I don't care, you know, for you. Right. At the end of the day, the science is cool, but there's politics involved in, and some of these guys yeah. are trying to be up and comers and they're rude to the, the higher yeah. ups. Like you, let's yep. see if you get invited to speak at any conferences, buddy, right. or let's, you know, uh, or I won't, I'll just, you know, I don't have time to deal with your crap. So I'll just delete you. Yeah. You can go rant and rave somewhere else, but if if but if you're polite, I will entertain anything, you know. And mm-hmm. it's a missing this day and age, especially YouTube is the worst. Oh yeah, you could have like, I mean, I am convinced like someone's family could get slaughtered, and they could if it was on YouTube, you'd have people go, "You deserved it" or something. Right? Say, yeah. It's like nothing is off limits, you know. Yeah. Well, I that might be a good place to end the show. We're uh, twenty minutes over our normal, <laughs> <laughs> but. You know, any closing comments from anybody, Rocky, anything? Oh, I think, uh, you know, I was I was going to butt in and in in those couple of rants, but I think the important thing here is I think what's been stressed is the uh, amount of critical thinking that needs to go into um, doing what you're doing or following whoever you're following and realizing that, making sure that whoever your guru is, if you want a lack of a better term, is applying some critical thinking and not locking you into one, one, one channel, so to speak. I think that's really should be one of the take-home messages. You know, I think the internet, uh, for all the good that it is, um, all the bad is along with that as well. Because you can, like we talked about, I think the word myopic was uh, placed earlier in the podcast. Mm-hmm. That was really something that needs to be Yeah. Anything you want to close with, Brett? No. Well, where where can everybody? All the ranting I needed. Well, where can everybody find you and uh, your? I know you've got some books out and stuff like that. Um, BrettContreras.com. That's the hub. So if you forget my name, you can type <laughs> in the glute guy onto Google and it comes up. So, and that if you want to follow me, that's the hub. There's links to like my Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, all that. And the, um, 
can subscribe to my newsletter. I send one out per week and I include links to all my articles and stuff like that. So I try to keep people um, up to date and I try to write like, you know, a few blogs a week and make it good information that's scientific. And so if that's the hub for everything, brettcontreras.com, one T and Brett. All right. We'll make sure we put that link under the podcast so everybody can get there and check out everything. Uh, and, uh, that's another episode of Body IO. I don't Body IO FM. I don't have anything else to wrap up with, so we will talk with you next time. You've been listening to Body IO FM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky. If you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. We'll be back next time with more science from the pinnacle of human health and performance.